Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. On this episode, we're taking a look at the southeast office market with two of Knight Frank's experts, Head of National Offices, Emma Goodford, and Head of Southeast Offices Capital Markets, Simon Rickards. Over the next 20 minutes or so, we'll discuss the challenges and opportunities facing the region, from a lack of new stock to an undersupply of environmentally sound buildings, to the growth in innovative businesses, life sciences and tech. We'll discuss the investor landscape, the future rental growth potential, and how COVID has been an awakening for the area. So sit back, plug in, or do whatever it is you like to do, and enjoy your latest EG Property Podcast. Hello and welcome to this EG Property Podcast and I'm very excited to be joined by, I'm going to say, a good cycle friend of mine, the very wonderful Emma Goodford, Head of National Offices at Night Frank and I'm sure one day I will meet him on a bicycle, uh, Simon Rickards, who's Head of Southeast Offices Capital Markets. We're here today because you guys have just um, launched your famous uh, M25 report. We um, we look forward to it every every year. But this year, of course, has been a little bit different for everyone. So um, when I whenever I think of the Southeast uh, market and the, the M25 market, it's always one of those that we talk about as being really resilient. It's always a really strong market. I'd just be really keen to hear from both of you whether whether that's changed at all during during the last 12 months or or how that market has has stood up, I suppose. Emma, over to you. Thanks, Sam, and thanks so much for that introduction. That's fantastic. Um, I've never actually cycled around the M25. That's that's a, a future challenge. Um, so I, I think, um, I mean, inevitably, like most markets, uh, last year was was well. The first quarter was fantastic, um, but as soon as we went into lockdown, inevitably we could see the challenge ahead of us. Um, and I think one of the things that that gave us a certain amount of resilience was the fact that we were close to London and and part of our market is the greater London area, um, but not right in the core. Uh, and I think that frankly meant that uh, a lot of businesses almost continue to function as normal. Um, many businesses in that area, frankly, had to go to the workplace to do their work and particularly those in the sort of life sciences community. Um, and, and whilst we did see we have to be honest, we did see a, a downturn in terms of take up and in some markets quite a substantial downturn. Um, the year ended frankly two thirds of where it normally is, which actually as a, as a year end sort of position was not a bad place to be. Um, and as I say, I think it is that fact that we are you know in every market in the southeast within striking distance of London um, and and very much sort of embedded in in that infrastructure um, and, and we've got a diversity of occupy sectors. So tech, inevitably, with so many people doing Zoom, doing Teams and, and gaming, that that frankly, again, um, was a pretty resilient, if, if anything, expanding sector. And life sciences obviously has had the pandemic boom and been really exciting. And, you know, Simon certainly experienced that in terms of the investor activity, haven't you, Simon? Yeah, we, we, we went into this, as Emma just said, Q1 last year was actually a record first quarter for, for our market over a billion pounds trading, which was amazing. So sentiment was really good. Pandemic comes along and it just wipes volumes completely. So so in the short term, you know, very, very difficult. And actually, uh, what's really positive is, is is the first quarter of this year, we've seen our, our best our best volumes for, for 12 months, 480 million pounds, which is actually pretty good for a, for a first quarter. So, so short term, there were definitely questions, but actually it seems to have bounced back relatively well, particularly at the prime end, where we've seen pricing has 
has pretty much held firm. I mean, he's probably come off 25 basis points, but but actually, given what we've all been through, not too bad at all. And you mentioned there two two markets that are are, re- are really hot: the tech market and the and the life sciences market. And, and and I want to come to some of the opportunities that there are within the the N25 market um, in a little bit. But I also want to talk a little little bit about challenges in in the market. And one of the um, really surprising things when I was looking through the report for me was just the the scarcity of of new space. Um, uh, I think you say it's at a, a 15 year low, which um, seems seems um, a little bit frightening, I suppose, um, for those of us that work in the real estate com- community, particularly when, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric, I suppose, around, you know, a real demand to to work um, in areas where there is access to space and and fresh air that might not be, you know, in central London, it might be in, in the surround. So I wonder if you could talk us a little bit more around what that what the, the pipeline looks like and the, the supply and demand story. Yeah, I mean, Sam, I'll, I'll pick that up. It's probably no surprise that as we came off the back of Brexit, a lot of people felt nervous. You know, that that was just under, I suppose, that was eight years after the global financial crisis. Um, people were actually feeling reasonably positive. We then had the referendum and inevitably, you know, that positivity pretty much overnight, I could say, vanished. And and so we saw a complete um, shrink in terms of the, the pipeline coming through then and, and really the downing of tools. And so what we've had since then is a slightly bizarre situation where um, I think in 2017, the total amount of space that was under construction was about 2.7 million square feet. And since then, that's been the entire pipeline spread over effectively four more years. So you, you've got a situation where the amount of demand has not really contracted. Um, we have to be honest, agile working, more dynamism in the workplace. Yes, of course, we're going to see some shrinkage in terms of the uh, volume of space that occupiers will take, um, but that won't affect every sector. So, so a combination of, frankly, a bit of an uncertainty in terms of what the workplace will look like and the volumes of demand, coupled with what we know is a development pipeline that has just shrunk, um, is, is quite an interesting thing. And it, it does feel a bit strange at the moment to be sort of reporting a, a supply crunch. Um, you know, it, it, it sounds almost quite drastic, but it could become quite drastic within three or four years. Um, inevitably, the southeast is very diverse in terms of markets. So, you know, we have to take a uniform. When we're talking data, we sort of apply it to the whole region. It's market by market. And, and you know, there are some markets that are still, fact, frankly, quite well supplied. And there are others that, frankly, have no choice and no supply whatsoever. Um, and that's quite unhealthy. I mean, it's unhealthy for the occupier perhaps healthy for the landlord, but it's certainly quite unhealthy for the occupier who has no choice. Um, and, and I think, you know, we will see, I, I think, uh, a concern about cost creep back up the agenda. I mean, certainly in the last three or four quarters, we've seen the finance director out on most tours that we've been conducting. And, and certainly they're taking more of an active look. But if you're doing that in a market with no supply, you know, the landlords, again, have an ability to really maintain a very robust position in terms of headline rent. Um, and I think generally across the southeast, we've seen rents sustain at, at a pretty robust level, but more flexibility in terms of what the tenant wants on their lease. And there's definitely been I'm hearing a lot from people um, this time time round, whereas in the in the recession, there was a flight to value. This time it's very much a flight to quality. So is there a is there an opportunity for developers to 
um, get in there quick and try and, and get schemes through through planning and and deliver into into that market? It's a bit of a miss. It's a bit of a, a, a mixed sort of um, a, a mixed situation. Um, certainly, it is quality and not quantity. And, and as we've said, quantity might shrink a little bit, but it is absolutely quality because the way in which these occupiers will use their space will be very different to how they used it pre-pandemic. Um, so the quality of space, you know, the workplace becomes, if you like, something that you can choose to go to. You don't have to go to it, possibly. Not in every sector, but certainly in some. Um, and and I think um, uh, what what we will see is, is inevitably developers and funds behind them responding. Um, but speed speed can't compromise quality um, and sustainability is the other thing of course that everybody's got to think about now you might say well if you refurbish a building it'll be a more sustainable solution but if that solution comes with a lot of compromise that then impacts quality then the tenant might not want to consider it so it, it will be a sort of blended decision of speed to market versus quality sustainability credentials all those things really coming into play um, I was going to say, I'm not, I'm not sure that there are that many sites out there, are there, Emma? It's not just, you know, if a landlord really just says, I want to build something now, it's not quite that straightforward. There is a, a real scarcity of of sites in some of these town centres. But as Emma just said, you know, I, I'm convinced that, that this flight to quality is, is here for the future. People are going to really want to get, yeah, be able to entice their staff into the best building they possibly can. And, and I, I think that's really exciting, actually, for what we're all trying to achieve, you know, really good quality office buildings. And let, let's um, let's talk about sustainability, because um, you're right. I mean, it's it's so high up on everyone's agenda. If, if you are building a new building, there's no excuse for it not to be um, net zero carbon or even, I hope, just zero carbon. Let's not net it off. Um, but, uh, but that's the optimist in me. Um, what does the what does the M25 market look like in terms of its sustainability credentials? How how is the building stock? Is there um, the right kind of forward thinking landlord and occupiers actually out there that are are really pushing for us to to do our bit in terms of the environment? I, th- I think that dynamic, Sam, between landlord and tenant or landlord and occupier or landlord and guest, depending on how you want to call your occupier, um, I-, I think that's really interesting because what we've tended to see is a lot of accreditations appearing in the market, lots of sort of badges, if you like, um, and the landlord's chasing sort of those badges because they think it will put their building at the top of the pile in terms of it, its its uh, you know its accreditations when it's, when it's considered by the occupier. Um, the tenant doesn't entirely understand what they mean and certainly hasn't calibrated that into paying more rent for a building. Um, so I think we've got this mismatch where the supply side, the developer, the funds behind it, you know, the, the, the money source um, certainly wants to do more. And a lot of occupiers have still got some catching up to do. And, and I suppose that reflects the fact that, you know, that there's so far this year in the market, there have been four deals over 50,000 square feet, but the market isn't flooded by huge, large Multi, multinational businesses um, who do understand the need and, and who are signing up to everything and, and frankly not just signing up to it but actually walking the walk if you like or walking the talk. Um, so I, I, th- I think the market's got a, a real challenge and, and one of the exercises actually we did was to look at in a f- fairly simplistic way but EPC credentials for, for buildings across the southeast and we've looked at every building that's available it's about over 11 million square foot of stock that's on the market at the moment uh, and we've looked at the EPC accreditation for each of those buildings and only 35% of buildings or 34.2% of buildings have an EPC of A or B which if that accreditation 
runs to a 2030 position and you have to be A or B, takes vacancy in the market down to about 2.3%. So again, more supply crunch problems. Um, and I think it just shows, you know, if 34% is A or B, there's an awful lot of stock in the market that's available for a tenant to take that does not have great sustainability credentials. Um, now, it's perhaps a bit of a crude measure, but it's a really interesting sort of metric. Um, and, and you can then apply, you know, a lot of other, if you like, accreditations, and, I, and I'm sure do, you know, much deeper analysis to really see how good the stock is. But fundamentally, the built, up and built available stock in the southeast is not very good. And, mm. and you know, for those occupiers that really have this at the top of their agenda, there isn't much choice out there for them to take. And that has an impact on value as well, I suppose, Simon, doesn't it? If you can't, because you won't be able to rent those properties if they're not A or B. Absolutely. We'll see the, the prime buildings that are that are A or B, uh, preferably A. They will, in my opinion, gain value. They'll get let up quicker. They'll do really, really well. People will want to be there. Those that are not capable of being A or B will, will struggle because the tenants won't, won't want to go there, I don't believe, and, and their staff won't want to go there. Um, so I think it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And what we're also seeing is, is one or two... Um, green funds being set up by some of the institutions they will only focus on really sustainable buildings and and my understanding is that every single fund management house has made some some fairly um grown-up pledges to be carbon net zero or similar by 2030 or or perhaps later on but but you know it's it's really really important for them and and it's not just that they've chosen to do it their corporate governance says they've got to do it so this is here the same for sure and in terms of um, sort of the other the other opportunities, because I think, you know, having only 35, 34.2% of um, buildings over um, a B rating is an opportunity, isn't it? Because there is a huge amount that can be done to that existing existing stock. So um, with opportunity in mind, let's let's turn to life sciences and, and tech and the, the growth areas um in the in the region and what we can expect to see see from them going going forward and sam interestingly i think the first thing to say on those two sectors is that they are effectively colliding um because inevitably i mean it's 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 fascinating you know if, if you think about science even 10 years ago you know most of it was a person in a white coat in a laboratory mixing test tubes so much of that stuff now of course is being done effectively on computer on computer and computer modeling um so so th- there is this sort of collision and, and there's the need also for um, the, the clustering, if you like, of both those two sectors to start combining. Um, so I, I suppose it's obvious to say in the southeast, we've got both the arc between Oxford and Cambridge, and we've also got the Golden Triangle. So we're incredibly lucky, um, you know, with the exception of the bottom right corner, which is London. Um, you know, the rest of the employment in, in life sciences or a huge amount of employment, about I think 40 percent across the UK um, is employed in the southeast market that we deal with. Um, so we've obviously seen. You know, Oxford, Cambridge, enormously robust throughout the the, the pandemic. And we've seen business just explode in terms of its growth. Um, That's both existing businesses just expanding. Um, We we monitor funds that come into these businesses and just watching the money land. And then what that means to the real estate problem, because it really is a problem for lots of these businesses, um, has been fantastic. Um, But but it is, I think, sort of leaking out now into neighbouring areas and and certainly, you know, the potential for some of the centres in the arc, uh, I think, to pick up increasingly um, from 
overspill, if you like, from Oxford and Cambridge, which are hugely expensive. They're hugely expensive places to rent in. They're hugely expensive places to live in. It is a really exciting opportunity. Um, and of course, you know, what's happening around West London has, has been incredibly exciting. Um, so I think, you know, we're, we're going to see um, greater growth in technology, a sort of collision, if you like, of life, life sciences with technology. Um, and that's frankly brilliant for the southeast and really very, very exciting. And I guess the driver for those kind of businesses is is talent and intelligence, isn't it? It's not necessarily location um, uh, or, or the building. It's about having access to, to talent. So I, I I assume and tell me if I'm wrong, um, that clustering uh, is it, and that collision, as you say, is, is really, really important for that. Yeah, it's all about the brains. You know, it's it's yeah, it's talent, it's brains, it, it's the people um, who've come out of the universities who are coming out of the universities, but but it's also the relationship of those people with you know not just their academic, um, you know, the, the, their academic institution, but also teaching hospitals, um, and and it's that you know that ecosystem that develops in those locations, um, and, and increasingly you know what we're seeing in the states is that the fourth thing that then comes in is basically the venture capital infrastructure that then comes in behind that to finance it all. Um, and, and increasingly, certainly we're seeing in Boston, the fact that, you know, the venture capital businesses now want to be close, very close to the to, to the scientific organisations, to the, to the life sciences businesses. And can you can you talk us through or, or, or give our give our um, listeners any insight into um, where some of those those overspill places are? I guess the next opportunities, if we've got a an investor developer listening listening in where should they be apart from obviously giving you guys a call to to help out um where should they be looking well 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 i mean simon you'll probably know on the basis of the what what was it two billion pounds worth of, of cash that was looking at an asset that we've recently sold in cambridge um but i think you know if you look in the arc already established somewhere like stevenage now you know even five years ago if somebody had said stevenage to me i'd have probably gone where um, and, and in fairness, I, I knew there was a sort of bio, bio, bio catalyst there already. And, and obviously that's really expanded in the last four or five years. And, and um, the, the presence of, of a couple of, of major institutions up there, um, again, has sort of established Stevenage as a place that, that, that is going to develop more as a cluster, uh, potentially Bedford, Milton Keynes, Vista, which now is a 11 minute train ride north of Oxford. Um, and again, has, I think, something like 10,000 houses. I won't bore you with the stats, but, you know, lots and lots of housing coming through, which would be brilliant for laboratory technicians, the lab rats, as they're called, you know, to go and live in. Um, so I, I think, you know, some of these are already semi-established, quite established and, and have some of that ecosystem going on. Others need probably a little bit more work to become established and, and would be slightly more trailblazing. Emma just touched on the on the two billion pounds of, of of equity looking at our um uh sell for legal in general on Cambridge Science Park. And you know, we thought that was probably the, the peak of it all. It's sort of a hundred basis points ahead of where an office would, would a standard office would trade for, but we've just seen uh, a building on Oxford uh, in Oxford trade sort of sub four percent now. So the, the demand, the investor demands, especially at the absolute prime, the Oxford, the Cambridge, potentially West London is insatiable and, and there, it's, it, it continues to build. And it's just extraordinary watching it, watching this demand just, just you know, a, a, attack these two, two little areas. Amazing. And it, is that sustainable? Time will tell, but um, it, it, seems to be, it's, it, it seems to be it, the general view and, and the view is that we are lagging behind uh, America. 
in, in the life sciences world and um, the equity is coming from the US. So I, I would say, yes, it probably is. Um, there's obviously the growth area in, in, the, in this sector. And as Emma said, life sciences and tech, as they collide, this is just going to run and run. So I would, I would say probably. Uh, Sam, I also think it needs a really strong occupier market and of course the you know the pandemic has given the occupier market i hate to use the expression a shot in the arm but i mean it, you know it really has because of everything connected with vaccine development but but then you know it's not just vaccines you know it is food and agriculture and automation and um you know it, it, so I, th- I think we have a habit of sort of thinking of life sciences just as drugs but it's so much deeper than that and it's a much broader sector just than that um and you know technology when you think about ai and everything associated with that. Um, so I think you know the occupier sector is probably as ever, perhaps lagging a little bit behind the investor sector, but the investor's got to be there to deliver the product. And, and very often with some of these occupiers in particular, until they see the product, they don't really know what they want. You know, so, some of these, I, I say semi-startup businesses, you know, they will grow from a few people to a few 20, 20 people to 200 people in a year. And, you know, and if they haven't sort of developed into a proper, um, you know, a, a proper fully grown company within two years, they fizzle up and disappear. Um, so so the growth is extraordinary. And, and, the, and the real estate demand that they make on themselves, they very often don't know very much about. So they have to see the product and the investor developers got to be there to provide it. And it, is there enough... Um... Uh, collaboration, I suppose, between between those um, between occupier and, and real estate there, or is that something that you know, if this market is booming so much and it, you know has this great potential, and you know we're a country that is full of pretty smart people, actually, um, you know, do we need to do anything to help with that that conversation and to really make the most of this as a as an economy that can you know, I hate to hate to use the levelling up word, that, but that can, you know, put us back on a, a level footing. I, I don't know if it's going to sound like levelling up, but I, I think what you tend to find, particularly in Oxford and Cambridge, is that the university colleges own a lot of the real estate holdings. They they then partner, if you like, with developers, investors who have the expertise. But but those universities, those institutions are often creating the businesses and and forgive me because I don't know exactly the stats, but, you know, the startups in the UK that come out of probably the top 10 universities are a huge percentage of the total startup activity across the um, across the country. So I, I think you have got that partnership there. You know, you've got landowner, you've got um, the institution, if you like, creating the business and, and, and being, you know, incubating that business, if you like, very often within their own infrastructure initially. And then you've got that real estate capability being brought into play to deliver product with a investor and maybe development expertise to, to then um, to then accommodate those businesses. So, yeah, I, th- I think um, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think the UK has enormous potential in this sector. I mean, it's it's yeah, I don't have to say that it's obvious. It's evident and obvious. And uh, earlier earlier on in the discussion, you we were talking about um, the the hotspots um, or potential hotspots, and you you mentioned connectivity actually, and how how close Vista is is to get to to now. And I know that that forms um, uh, a key part of 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 your latest report as as well. So I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about how you know how well connected. Um, the southeast and the M25 is, and and you know what connection means, I suppose, in 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 this setting. Yeah, shall I 
Simon, are you happy? I'll start. I'll start with that. Um, I mean, Sam, we've we've done two things. I think original research is always really interesting because it really makes you think about why something is going to work, why a place will work, or why a building at a place will work. Um, so we've done two things. Um, one is a connectivity index, um, and that's not just simply looking at you know does it have road, rail, and air access because that's that's all a bit simple. But that's that's looking at um, about 43 centres across the UK. Um, 48 different metrics. I think we did 800 different data points and then looking at digital connectivity and then physical connectivity. And the physical piece is actually the access to the talent pool, to the brains that we were talking about a second ago. Um, and I mean, in a way, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm not, I'm sometimes not surprised when we look at this type of research, because sometimes the, the answer is pretty obvious. Um, and I think, you know, it is sort of obvious that the top five towns are all or top five centres are all Greater London locations. And, and that, of course, is not surprising because it's got access to talent. It's got incredible digital infrastructure. So it ticks a lot of boxes. Um, so Chiswick, Richmond, Wimbledon, Bromley, Hammersmith. Bromley, perhaps a bit of a surprise. number of people would probably be a bit surprised by that. Um, for me, the surprise is one of the big surprises is number 11 on our list was Boreham Wood, which hmm. I thought was quite interesting. Um, and... Um, you know, so, so as I say, that that I think was was quite an interesting piece to do, and and linked to that, we looked at um, innovation, and and I think you know you can't have a place that is strong in innovation without incredible connectivity, because to me the two sort of go hand in hand, access to people, incredible digital infrastructure, um, and that was that was a really interesting exercise to do, and you know quite quite complicated, um, building on work that we've done in our active capital report um, which has been released this year which is if, if you like global cities so what we did was get very granular and we took that same sort of approach in terms of research base back into again 43 centers across the southeast and, and we looked at that and we looked at innovation in infrastructure um, which involved a whole load of metrics to do with you know the, the way in which people are um, interacting with each other, the number of research institutions, number of universities, et cetera. Um, and then we also looked at the motivation to innovate as, as a second sort of metric. Um, and thirdly, we looked at the startup community. Um, and again, you know, creating a metric, a, a matrix of incredible places where there's amazing innovation, I, I think is really important for the real estate sector because we tend to look at the market and say, well, it's all about take up and rental value and potential future demand. But actually what matters is these local economies and and what their innovation potential is, because then you can spot something really exciting that might just be sort of in its infancy. You took the words out of my mouth there. I'm I was sorry. Gonna, no, no, it's good because I was going to say, that I, you know, having been in this game for a, a while now, I, you know, I, I can remember having conversations like this where we would be talking about a market and we would talk about rents and square feet and take up and and those sort of things. And we'd never talk about ESG. We wouldn't talk about innovation or, or connectivity. And 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 I wonder if the, you know, the, the metrics that investors, occupiers um, use now to make their decisions has has flipped a, a little bit. And I guess, Simon, from, from your point of view, from a capital markets point of view, are you are you having, I guess, what we might term th those softer discussions with investors? I've long since thought that, that the places where people should want to work are also the places that people might actually want to live. So someone like Brighton has always done really, really well. St Albans is another one. Cambridge, of course. 
you, you get these places that are that are sort of buzzy places that you think, well, would I like to live there? Yeah. All that actually happens are all really nice office markets as well. They are, I think, all three of those pretty well connected in every single way that Emma's, Emma's just said. So, so absolutely, it's not just about an office and and you know pounds per square foot. It's about absolutely everything else and the whole sort of holistic approach to um, would I, would I like to work there? And I think the answer is that's that is the only way of looking at it going going forward. Um, I was just going to say also, just looking at the connectivity index, three three places that, that you wouldn't have thought necessarily would have been right up there, but are um, Staines, Brentford and Uxbridge all, all feature really highly on there. And they would not have been uh, at the top of what I would have expected um, uh, you know, to have scored really well, but they have done. And I think that's something that we, we, we should, you know, we talk about the Chiswick's and the Richmond's and the Wimbledon's, but some of these markets are a bit unheralded. And it's important that we remember they've also got plenty of merit. I guess to to round us off, um, we can't we can't go without looking to the future. And and um, yes, the last the last year has been an odd one. It will it will have changed us a bit. But I am um, uh, I always think we probably bounce back quite quickly and and forget quite quickly as as well. Maybe we won't this time round. But who knows if we're if we're crystal ball gazing. Um, and head five years down the future. Hopefully, we are back to some um, normalcy by then. How how is the N25 market going to cope? What's it going to look like in in five years' time? You use that expression, Sam, M25. And, and actually, funnily enough, I think the significance of the M25 is probably going to reduce as a sort of orbital belt, if you like. So, you know, we, we taught this year, did we change the name of our event from the M25 breakfast to something broader? Um, I, I think what you will see is a sort of hierarchy of towns. And, and I think you will see um, a real dominance of those places that have, as I say, strong academic, um, strong digital, strong technological, strong innovation credentials. Um, and I think in a, in a funny way, you know, these these labels that we give to regions will become almost less important. It'll be you know, the greater London and Southeast market and within it a series of towns. Um, you know, I don't even know if we'll continue to call the Thames Valley the Thames Valley, if, if I'm honest with you. So, so that's one thing that I think will change. Um, I am absolutely convinced that the market is 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 just on the cusp of a huge step change in terms of rental value. And you'll probably say, oh, well, you're a letting agent. So every letting agent would say that. <laughs> but I think it has been a long time coming. Providing, you know, beautiful, sustainable buildings costs a lot more money. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is to persuade the occupier that it's worth spending more money on it, frankly. They'll take less of it, but they'll pay more for it. Um, so hopefully, the you know, the equilibrium will be sustained. But I genuinely think we're going to see some 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 proper rental growth. Um, but with that, we will have a lot more flexibility um, and the landlord will have to provide generally a lot more service and, and not rely, if you like, on a town centre necessarily to provide that, because a lot of these town centres, as a lot of the high streets, will have a pretty torrid time and have to reinvent themselves. Um, so I think you know what the landlord can do within their own developments, within their own business parks, you know, even within their own town centre buildings will be really important. So I, you know, I, I think... I mean, I've worked this market for nearly 35 years. I genuinely think the next five years are going to be about the most exciting that we'll have seen. Um, and also, you know, we've got green space, we've got fresh air, but in most markets, you're within an hour of London. So you get the best of both worlds. It's incredible. A good sales pitch there, Emma. I liked it. <laughs> Simon. <laughs> I, no, I can't top that. All I'm going to say is I, I, <laughs> I think there'll be a real focus on Prime. I think we'll see, as, as Emma said, 
there'll be some real, really dominant centres. You know, I think Reading, Cambridge, Oxford, it's obvious that they will dominate. West London will do very well. Um, but these markets need to need to stay relevant. So whether they're whether they've got amazing talent or great links or they're a nice place to live, like as we said, St Albans, place, places like that, they've got to stay relevant. They've got to whatever they do, they've got to do it well. And I think I think a lot of towns will need to regenerate the town centres. Um, Bracknell has improved its town centre over the last few years, and I think has began to bear the fruits of that. And, and, and Woking is a similar one. It's regenerating itself and becoming more appropriate, more relevant. So, so I think I think that uh, the focus on Prime will continue. Um, towns must reinvent themselves, and those that do, I think, will do really well. I love in in your foreword to the um, to the report that you start off talking about um, 2020 being the quickening. You know, all of us are aboard of the word accelerant right now, aren't we? But you you finish that with actually it's it's the awakening, which I think is absolutely spot on that we have been shaken awake by the events of the the last 12 months, and we have we have to change and do things differently and and for for our community let's hope that that does lead to rental rental growth and um for the occupier community to better buildings and for the environment more sustainable buildings um but i i agree i hope the next five years are going to be pretty exciting um it's pretty exciting five years but thank you so much for for joining us on this eg property podcast people can read the report in full of course if they head to the night frank website. Twinview are a proud partner of the EG Tech Awards. Twinview moves your commercial building closer to net zero. Reduce your building's carbon footprint and operational costs while improving efficiency and occupier experience. Visit twinview.com for more information. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data. 